everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Wilber. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Specian. He's right here. Mike, how are you? Outstanding, Eric. Outside of the weather. Yeah, it's it's been, obviously, this is no news, that it's been a very wet summer in New England, leading to some issues, in, in, in particularly in Western Mass and Vermont and New Hampshire. I'm, I'm sure the audience by now has seen some of the images that came out of Vermont and New Hampshire from some of the rains we got in in mid to late July. And like Governor, like the Vermont governor said, shades of Irene, which was truly what it was. Twelve years ago when we had Irene, I think the lasting images that we had, at least as skiers and riders, of that storm was the Killington Lodge just collapsed upon itself. Now it's it's the location of the umbrella. But, you know, that was such a dramatic photo that told you how bad this was. Well, this time we've got the dramatic footage that was taken, I believe it was by WPDZ up in up in Lake Placid, not Lake Placid, in, in Plattsburgh, of the road leading to Okemo, which was just a, a washout of mud and rocks. And it, and it strikes you as, as lovers of the state of Vermont and lovers of, of the skiing that they offer there, when you see something relegated to look totally different than you're, than you're used to, it, it immediately tugs in your heartstrings, and, and you, you, you pray and, and hope for those people involved that they can get things cleaned up. The people involved, it is so disheartening. In January, we were talking about the consistent rains up north when we wanted snow and it wasn't cold, and we are talking about the economies of the hotels, the restaurants. Right now, it just, it tears at me. The hotel owners, the bed and breakfast owners who depend on this time, the, the bike touring tours that go up and down Route 100 or Tour Vermont that had to just cancel everything, the farmers along the Connecticut River in Hadley, Massachusetts, whose cornfields are gone, it's it's very very disheartening and and sad but the resiliency of New England we're New England strong right, right now Boston strong New England strong and we're going to make it through it yeah and I, and, I, and I think that people the immediate response was how do i help and i think in the immediate aftermath it was well you can't like right now like stay away let vermont kind of clean up since then i think a lot of other focuses are how do you how can you donate or how can you share your time ski vermont has a whole bunch of different resources the vermont community foundation has created the vermont flood response and recovery fund to support Vermonters in responding to and recovering from the flooding, you can donate there. Visit SkiVermont.com. They've got all the information there for you. And road road closures, you can find out. It's at New England 511. They will have all flood preparedness information available at Vermont Emergency Man- Management's website. And obviously, this is all focused in Vermont, but, but in recent days and weeks, New Hampshire has been affected as well, Western Mass., the road leading to my home in New Hampshire is not a road anymore. It's seeing these images and, and feeling lucky at the, at, the, at the local level, at least where I live, it hasn't really been the worst that's happened to us is our pool has overflowed. And so it, it's, it's disheartening to see some of the images and, and knowing my friends in Vermont that are going through this 
again after having to deal with it. Just one of my friends, I, I recently stayed at his home in May, has a home up at the top of what used to be, I, mean, I can't remember the name of the ski area right now, but in Ludlow. And he only had two inches of water in his basement. And he felt lucky because he was so high up. You have to feel for all those people that seeing downtown Ludlow and seeing those restaurants that I love to go to and just seeing them under a foot of water, just you hope they can recover and they can get things cleaned up. And the best of luck to them. And if you you can help in any way, please do so. Yes, we, we hate starting off a podcast with some tough news. But we all, as a skiing community, as an outdoor community, we have to really think about our neighbors, our friends, and the businesses that we like to enjoy when we're in the mountains. But with that being said, Eric, more on an upbeat level, what have you you been doing over the last week or so? Well, it's it's still summer sports season there. Michael, (laughs) which means that we have been to New Jersey for a tournament where a baseball tournament at the the lovely Diamond Nation complex in in New Jersey, which is quite a place, except we only played two games because of torrential rain, speak of the devil. And every single night there's a game. I want to go to see the, the Cape League and I can't because my son is a game. Now, granted, I would rather see my son play baseball than some collegiates that may be a pro star someday. But every now and then, you'd like to get out. But, you know, in, I, I say this with a, with, a, with a smile, obviously, because I do love watching my kids play. But my God, <laughs> does it take so much time? Summer is supposed to be about getting away for a couple of days. Go hike in the mountains. And we, we had this rant earlier off, off mic about how Youth sports are killing that. They're killing the ability for us to be able to get away. Once this season ends, my family's going on vacation to Virginia, and I love it. We go to this place just south of Virginia Beach called Sandbridge. My brother-in-law now owns a house there. What's beautiful about Sandbridge is that it's just, it's like Cape Cod before it became Cape Cod, right? It's just house upon house upon house and the beach, and there's no... Nothing. There's actually a Ben and Jerry's there now, and that's the first chain. So it's a tremendous place to escape. That being said, we're going away for one week, okay? Ten days. My son and I are flying, flying home on that Sunday night that we, that we end our vacation because he has football the following Monday. Like, he gets a week off, and that is literally it before he's going again. Now, the kid loves it. Loves it. But as a parent, we had this discussion before that at some point you get to say we're going skiing or we're doing this. Yes, there is that. But it's also tough to tell your son, like, no, you can't go to that basketball game tonight because I'm going to the mountains and you're coming with me. T.S. Because when you see him, the way he played basketball last night at 10 o'clock at night on a summer Sunday and the passion he put into it, it's tough to deny him that. Yeah. I I understand and that. And that's the struggle. That is the struggle. I understand. Well, well, you were chasing kids' sports. I went up to Hampton and Rye and grabbed a stand-up board and went surfing. And, ah. well, two things out of that day that were really cool. Number one is Cinnamon Rainbow. That's the store, if you remember, when Hampton had the big fire mm-hmm. and they lost a surf shop. Well, Cinnamon Rainbow is still... Is still there in a different location, but they had a whole group of inner city kids teaching them how to, how to surf. 
And I, I was like, that is so cool. So an inner city program brought them up to Hampton Beach to learn how to surf for a day, open, opening them up to a new realm. The other thing that happened that day, the surfing, the surfing has not been good this year overall, but the other thing that happened is that that day a great white shark was pinged one mile off the coast of Jenis Beach in Rye. <laughs> and, and my wife looked at me and goes, you know, that's where you were. I go, yeah, I know, it's okay. But two things happened that day that were both so, wow, eye-opening. Right, and, and I, I, I bring up Sandbridge again because Sandbridge was a place where I had one of the, the most eye-opening natural phenomenons happen to me. I was out in a kayak, and this dolphin just up and came up right next to me, hung out for a split second, and then went right down. And I was just so flabbergasted. Like in that moment, you think, what if it tips? Or what if something bad happens? No, it was just this one moment I had with this dolphin that was very out of the blue and out of like just anything I've ever experienced in my life. And then I thought, what if that was a shark? And it freaked myself out and ended up paddling right back to the shore. But I think that that's a good lead in to exactly who we're going to talk to today on this podcast. We're going off a little bit. On a, on a different tangent here because, well, there's only so much skiing you can talk during the summer, which I think is why this flows so naturally into having these guests on because what are skiers during – what are skiers well, – because what do skiers do during the summers? Well, guess what? We go on vacation. We go to, we go to different places. Maybe we go to Cape Hatteras. Maybe we go to Key West. In this case – our backyard is called Cape Cod. Yep. And obviously Cape Cod has been a site of increasing shark presence over the years and has ended in tragedy. Back in 2018, Arthur Medici was a fatality that, and that really started the formation of this group, Cape Cod Ocean Community, which looks to both raise awareness about shark activity and to promote the fact that this is still an environment we want to use, but let's use it safely. So we're going to have Heather Doyle, who's the co-founder of Cape Cod Ocean Community, on with her husband, Drew Taylor, and Mark Angelillo, who's a waterman and lifestyle sales and rep, lifestyle lifestyle sales rep for Surf and Ski. We will have them join us in just a moment. All All right, welcome back. Joining us on the program today, we're lucky to have here Heather Doyle, who is the co-founder of Cape Cod Ocean Community along with her husband, Drew Taylor, a waterman and citizen environmentalist, and Mark Angelillo. Mark Angelillo. Did I do that right that time? Waterman mm-hmm. lifestyle sales rep for surf and ski. Here to talk about beaches on Cape Cod and, 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 and uh, safety in the water and whatnot. So welcome to all of you. We're excited to have this discussion. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, there's lots to talk about. So I think we'll have a lot of sharing and bring you guys up to speed what's happening here. Well, Heather, we see in the news in the Boston area all the time about what's going on in the Cape. But, you know, the media doesn't give us the overall view of what really is happening and how we navigate it as human beings. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Cape Cod Ocean Community is all about? So Cape Cod Ocean Community started back some time now, 2018, 
when a young man named Arthur Medici was taken by a shark, unfortunately, in our waters in Wellfleet. And that was a sort of a, a tertiary event. Prior to that, there had been two other attacks of people that we either knew or didn't know. And it becomes a sort of a rallying point, right? Because everybody feels like something needs to happen. At that time, we felt like it was a hockey stick. Like these things are going to continue to happen because they were happening in that case, three and 14 months of time. And it was a case where we go to a microphone and we're like, hey, someone needs to do something. And we have a small government here in Barstable County on the Cape. And it was really a point of kind of looking around to say, geez, maybe we need to do something. Maybe we need to be helpful. Maybe we need to bring some ideas and solutions to the table. And maybe not as a vendor or a scientist, but as just true citizens. And we can sort of use our own resources in terms of money and time. We can seek out these technologies that might help us be more safe and and bring them forward to make larger decisions. So so that's how we started. It just started as a group of concerned citizens who really wanted to take action and be helpful. And that continues to be our, our core value and mission today. Drew, I'll ask you, this is kind of a big picture thing, but you know, what are the organization, organ, organ, I can't speak today. What are the organization's long-term goals? How do you envision the future of ocean recreation? Is it like it used to be in the, the, the glory days of the 60s? I mean, you'll have to tell me I wasn't around. Or is it going to be something futuristic that we're not really have in mind quite yet? Yeah, that's a good question. I think all three of us can jump in and add to this. But, you know, you look where we're at today, where we've come over the last 10 years. So the first shark attack, I think, was 12 years ago with the father's son up at Boston Beach. I think the father was out quite a bit, quite a ways on a boogie board. And it was a small attack, but, I mean, there was a little bit of damage then, obviously. There was our friend Cleve Bigelow, who was stand up paddleboard, was hit in 17. And then after that, there was the two attacks in 2018. And since then, it's gone from like when Mark and I grew up and Heather was all part of the Cape Cod Ocean community back then, per se. I mean, it was pretty lackluster and go and have fun, no worries, and go surfing, swimming, swim out to the buoys and back. So all that changed in that 10, 15 year period where now all of a sudden sharks are here to stay and everything that goes along with the ecosystem that's brought them here. So at this point in time, like Heather mentioned earlier, as far as surveillance and detection and public health and safety, that's what we're all about. And that has to be at the forefront moving forward. So to envision something, I guess we'd take what's been done, which when I think Mark, Heather, and I look at it, you can go like, we haven't done anything, but at the same time, we've done a lot because where we were right after the organization started back in the January of 2019, we brought in the planes, plane coordination with the pilots with a radio frequency. The boat, boaters can see the same thing. If they see a shark, they can call it in. Obviously, stop the blade kits, stop the bleak kits. We're are at every beach now. Heather in the organization, they brought in fiber optics and Starlink. That's a work in progress right now. So it's moving in a good, a good direction. But I, I I can't speak for the three of us, but I, what do I envision? I envision a well-coordinated, hopefully kind of like the world comes together with what South Africa has and Reunion Island and Australia and bring all the knowledge we have together and kind of put it all in one package that we can all 
using. And that would include drones with surveillance. And basically, just everyone has a, it's almost real time as far as if and when there's a shark, we're all going to know about it. We're, we're going to know what to do about it. So I'll, I'll defer to Mark and Heather from there. But that's, those are my two cents for whatever it's worth. Go ahead, well Mark. Said. Well said. Yeah, I think, I think it's a awareness thing. We're really, I think the connectivity, we used to have some hotspots in Wellfleet or Churro. And, and finally, Heather and the group really created this connectivity and made sure that we had open lines and we had the right safety kits. And we all worked together as a team. I think a lot of the towns were very, very apprehensive because of the liability and their legal counsel had gone ahead and suggest that they not get involved until they do more diligence or research. And eventually, we all showed how we were on the same page together, working towards the same cause, which was public safety. And now all of a sudden, the, the curtains came down a little bit. They started accepting us. They started looking at us as watermen and, and the things that we could do. And it's been just an amazing amount of hours. And it's an amazing journey that we've been on so far. And everything that we're discovering. So I think we're still in the infancy of it. And I think that we, as, as Drew said, is that we can engage the world and we can share with each other the same way we do with Maine, New Hampshire, the North Shore, and even Rhode Island still has Long Island. They've been reaching out to Heather and we've been sharing what we have learned with them so that they have a better platform to go ahead and elevate their game. So I, I say we're on the right trajectory, but so, so young at this until we bring more together that believe in it and support us. Heather, can you break down for us uh, a little bit, give, give the audience a quick summation of some of the technology that's being used in other places like South Africa, for instance? Yeah, so I, 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 might, I might divert you a little. So what we're in love with right now is what's happening in Long Island. Mm-hmm. New York and Fire Island. So in that case, the governor last year, after there were five bites by sand sharks in succession, immediately deployed a study group, which moved very quickly, like a task force, and deployed a lot of money and funds and immediately deployed drones and up their surveillance, right? So what do they see? They see public safety and they see economic impact, just like Cape Cod. So what did we see this year? Again, they came out with a very sophisticated program. $2 $2 million was allocated by the governor. We don't have that here in Massachusetts. And they have a very, very mature fabric. So they've got spotter planes as a rule. We have spotter planes infrequently and typically sponsored by our organization through our private funds and donations. That's being done with the government there on a, on a programmatic basis, as well as surveillance and patrols in the water a very, very sophisticated and wide-reaching drone program, which it required not only acquiring the devices, acquiring the most sophisticated devices, which they've done with extended battery life and beautiful monitoring screens. So not sort of like an amateur approach, which we have here to some extent, mostly volunteers, but a very mature process, which also included training. So it's great to have all this technology, but if folks don't know how to use it and they're sitting on the beach, it's really important. So it's a very mature and professional program. And we really see that as a terrific model. But what did it take? It took public safety concerns and it took economic impact. Well, we know 
after Arthur Medici was killed 2018, there was an economic impact. We know it's documented. There were less than 700,000 visitors to the Cape Cod National Seashore, which covers all 15 towns. And then here comes COVID. Everybody's trapped in Massachusetts. So there was, a, I think, a, an anomaly occurred where some of the numbers were back up. But I'll tell you, the numbers, even for 2022, are still not as high as they were back in 2017, 2018. So that's sort of a dirty little secret that we disclose, but there has been an economic impact. Well, and and currently in 2023, they're saying that more visitors are going to Rhode Island than the Cape. So it is, I think the trend is definitely continuing. Yeah, and it's going to, but what we really rail against and what we hope to continue to inspire is just because nothing's happened doesn't mean we should take our foot off the gas, right? Because there's a mantra that we hear, or Mark hears it, Drew hears it, all of our members hear it. And it makes us bananas, which is, well, nothing's happened. Nothing's happened for this young man, Mr. Medici. He did all those things wrong. People have changed their behavior. This is the mantra that we hear. And we would rail against that. Arthur Medici did everything right. He wasn't dusk and dawn. He wasn't wearing shiny jewelry. He wasn't in murky water. So some of that is very mythical in terms of how accurate those, those excuses are. But right now, what we're seeing is a real plateau. No further implementations of any technologies. We've done demonstrations of both a balloon that can be used for surveillance, countless drone opportunities. We do sponsor spotter planes. But in terms of a programmatic approach across the county, because again, sharks don't live in Wellfleet and stay in Wellfleet. They're traveling. They're traveling from Chatham and they're traveling up to P-Town. And we're now seeing them factually in the bay. So this is a significant problem. And the idea that we're just sort of waiting for a shoe to drop It's quite disturbing because if you think about an idea of there's a a language we use called remember the future, what will you wish we would have done? And let's do those things now. Don't do it in response to another meme or death. Do it ahead of time. Let people know there are things we can do. So that's sort of where we sit. I mean, we don't want to cause contention, but we just want to keep that drumbeat as there are things we can and should be doing. So I got to ask you then, because it it, it blows my mind every Every year when we pay taxes, it, it, I just get, well, first of all, I'm like everyone here can pay the taxes and, and that's enough to build a bridge, right? Or I pay my taxes and how is there really enough people to do all this? And then I get like a, a big tax bill. I'm like, okay, now I understand. But does it frustrate you when you see you're in the state of Massachusetts that, that has legalized cannabis and is getting taxed on that, has legalized gambling, getting taxed on that, and that people are telling you there's no money from the state to actually dedicate to something we discuss ad nauseum every single summer. That's a, that's a great point, Mike. And you talk about taxes. So we have a vacation rental down there. So we have one vacation rental when you figure Cape Cod, right? And we pay, every every guest pays a 17.45% state tax when they come there. 4% goes to the town, X amount goes to the state, X amount goes to the county. And you multiply one home, and we do pretty well there. So all the vacation homes in Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, whatever, all the seaside communities, they're all, they're all getting that tax. So you would, I would like to believe personally, as you just mentioned, the tax dollars apparently, or from what I can see as a, as a citizen, are definitely in the coffers somewhere. So what's being earmarked towards what we're talking about today, surveillance, detection, public safety, when it comes to ocean recreation. So that's, 
that's a good point as far as the tax, tax dollars and the funding and all that. But I mean, like Heather just mentioned, New York seemed to make it happen very quickly. It didn't take long. It took a few minor bites last year and all of a sudden it's all hands on deck. And yet here it's totally different mentality where the grassroots organization that we have is really the only one that's kind of pushing the needle <laughs> as far as what we're talking about. Well, I will guarantee to the three of you that a copy of this podcast will be going to Governor Healy on behalf of you and us. I will make sure that happens. That's great. Thank Without you. a doubt. Thank you. So, Heather, what is the current state out there? Once again, we hear a lot in the media, but we don't necessarily get the full picture. What is the current state of the white shark population out there? And what are the biggest challenges for the recreation community, but also the tourist community that we we're just talking about? We have seven real-time receivers that send an alarm to a lifeguard during guarded hours only when a tagged shark only is in a recreational zone. Now, great. When the question is posed, why don't we have more? In this case, it's going to a nonprofit who seems to be sponsoring much of that activity, Megan Winton, who also is doing work for the state, replied that that's all the money they have. Now, imagine if we had a way that those alarms could light up after hours or something. It's, a, it's running on a solar panel. But when we're deploying these technologies at the state level for the purposes of science only, these public safety opportunities get overlooked, right? So if you're only thinking about it as a scientist, we're going to get 24-hour information. Well, let's make sure the public also knows because really no one's leaving the beach at 4.30 and there's still a lot of people in the water. So that's one aspect. I also work with a group in town that is sponsored by our town and we did just win an award for a municipal fiber grant. And that was a group of volunteers that's $200,000 coming to the city, the town of Wellfleet, and that will enable us to light up fiber at the beaches. And what does fiber help us do? Wi-Fi calling, faster response. The emergency services can talk to each other along the beaches, on the beaches, in those dark zones. But again, it takes volunteer efforts. So that will not obviously occur this year. But it'll probably occur next year. I think that's how the grant was awarded, actually. And Excuse me. Then we have other opportunities where when there's an event or we know there's going to be a high congregate of people swimming, surfing, boogie boarding, some private folks are willing to kind of put themselves at risk of, of legal trouble by running drones for public safety. Now, they are prohibited on the seashore because of the China lens, the lens from China. You could debate whether that's uh, an appropriate use of that of that rule, of that ruling. Because for the purposes of public safety, you should be able to run a drone. A properly trained license, of which there are many, should be running drones out there. And again, we should have a fabric of something in the air, something in the sky, something that's consistent. And then the other opportunity is year over year, like in New York, get together. What really worked? Let's, be, let's create a playbook, right? You mentioned earlier what we could do globally. There are playbooks available. We're getting calls from Situate, Marshfield, Cohasset, and they're asking us, you know, what's what are the right things to do, right? They're probably a, they're probably a green or, or yellow if you think about 
red, yellow, green. And we're definitely a red. So we should be out front here on Cape Cod and we should be out really setting the playbook. These are the right things to do. You never hear people in or Australia or New South Wales or Union Island. They're not bragging about purple flags, which is senseless at this point because they're just up all the time. Surely they have stopped the bleed kits. But at this point, we had we were widely offering classes. And over time, that's kind of petered off. There's, there's really been a lack of consistent attention to not only the, the reactive things, which we always thought were too passive anyway, but really implementing anything further proactive. So I hope that answered your questions. I would have been over speak. I apologize. But I just want to really give a reflection on what a, a beautiful future state looks like and kind of where we are today. There's no reason to believe this problem is getting smaller. And there are more and more people in the ocean. Mark's seeing it. To be honest, I don't like to go to the beach. I typically don't go. When I see people paddleboarding beyond the surfers or paddling out to the receivers and they've got their kids, it's just, it tells me that people do not have a sense of, of the true escalation of the population. And there is a mindset that says, well, they've always been there. I understand that. Not at these numbers. Well, they've always been there. Nothing's happened for three years. Okay. But you know what? That's true until it's not true. And at some point, something's going to happen. And what will we wish we would have done? Well, as a retired firefighter here, okay, fires always happen, but we don't run into the fire. And that's the way I view it. Being educated, having caution and respecting the earth we live on and nature as a whole. This is not Disney World. This is reality. And if you have a mutual respect for other things that are living on the planet, we can live in harmony, but you've got to have respect. Absolutely. So, so how, how do you navigate? Mark, I, I know you're, you're a, a local waterman and a surf rep. How do you navigate surfing on a daily basis? Is it, do you check an app every day or do you kind of know like Timmy the Great White will be here on Tuesday, so I don't have to worry about him till, like, do you, how do you, get out there without, with taking all the safety precautions in mind. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't use any apps whatsoever because for a while they weren't real time and it doesn't really do anything for me. I think as being a waterman, like Drew and I that put in a hundred sessions a year is that you just have heightened proprioception about your awareness and what's going on. And you do the right thing. You heighten your shark awareness. You surf with two or three other people, you know your partners, like you're going into the woods. You, you have to think safety before you get there. We're dealing with Mother Nature. She's always going to win. You can dance with her. But boy, when she, wants, when she wants to shut the door and close the dance floor, it's over. So I think you need to study the waters before you go in there. You have to, if you would say it, know before you go. You got to study the zones. You got to study the currents. But it's also about looking at the marine life. Do I see a lot of seals moving up and down the beach? Do I see bait fish going by? Do you see the predator, the chain of command, one hunting the other? And where we used to, as Drew will test this, hey, we used to do it very secretively. Hey, how's it breaking? What's going on? That, that's out of the conversation, picking up surf now. It's what did you see? Did you sense anything? Have you heard anything? And I think what we do is we become very aware what has happened, what has passed through there, 
from these the technology that we have in the last 24 hours. And so I think that that's really important to be shark smart, know about daily sightings. Uh, and if you're not sure, as Heather pointed to, ask the guards because they're all dialed in. Talk to the guards, ask them what's going on. Is it safe? Or I'll tell you what, for any visitor that comes here, I would strongly suggest that they surf in protected areas or slightly outside of between nine to five. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I would mm-hmm. not, I would not send them in the water before then if they don't have all of those variables. So great question. I think we share with each other, right, Drew? We talk about it. We spend a lot of time kind of checking out the surf, but also talking about sharks, Drew, from, from the beach and the water and looking at it versus always checking out the waves, the break and What's going to give you that best adrenaline rush? Because the sharks definitely give you good adrenaline when you're out there too, oh, right? Sure. I'm sure. sure they do. <laughs> well, well, Mark, you hit it straight, straight on as far as Mark and I have been in the water for a long time. And you get to the beach or whatever. And like Mark said, you, you are there tons of seals? There's pods of seals in the area. Are there birds feeding? And the other thing that I think Mark will back me up on this, but you know, we're, we're really going into the heightened shark season now. So it's it's really starting now. And Mark and I will go from surfing like shortboard fun boards to from now the middle of July through the end of October, middle of November. Those shortboards and fun boards, and, and when we say fun board, that's like somewhere between five, ten and seven feet. So I pretty much will go to a longboard now if I'm going to surf at all in the summertime, performance longboard or a couple of different longboards to pick from and or stand up paddleboard only because of everything we're talking about. So that's changed. The other thing which has changed also, like Heather kind of spotted on a few minutes ago is unfortunately people's guard is starting to come back down because it's been five years. So Mark and I, we're seeing more and more people kind of like, they're out there on the short boards this time of year, going into August, September, where we know the short boards, anything under six foot or whatever, that certainly looks a lot more like a seal than something that's nine foot, nine foot plus, or you're standing on a stand-up paddleboard. So unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with. And I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Mark or Heather, but you know, I think other- great, great points, Drew. I, I think we even sometimes question whether the waves are worth it. Sometimes you look at it and it's just so-so and you're putting in hundreds of days or hundreds of sessions in the water and you go, ah, no, I'm not really feeling it. Sometimes it's the time of day. Yeah. Just like I said, you develop this sense of safety, awareness, and, and you've really got to look at all the cards that are on the table. You, you got to be, you got to be smart. You got to be safe. No, that's a good point. And Heather, you can jump in on this, but I, I, I believe, speaking for everyone here, prior to Arthur being attacked, I would probably, even today, be surfing probably 50 to 70% more than what I surf now going forward this time of year through October. So if and when it's good, Mark and myself will travel to whether it's Rhode Island or up to New Hampshire or Maine, depending on the swell. But you know, if, if, if the same swell is as good, if not better, off, off Cape and it gets into the hurricane season, we'll travel for the waves rather than stay local, just, out of, just for safety. 
No, I, I can understand that. Being somebody, Mark knows I spent a lot of time on a windsurfer. Um, mm-hmm. People always ask me, am I concerned about it? No, not when I'm on Buzzard Bay, but when I'm out on the Outer Cape, yeah, I start to, I start to think about it a little bit more. A little bit heightened awareness. I just don't want to be off that board. I want to stay on it, powered up. Heather, what from a visitor standpoint, you talked about Stop the Bleed kits. What other signs and stuff are are there that visitors should be looking for as they go to the beaches? Is Are the beaches signed really well now? Or if you're a teacher or firefighter, you really know what they are. But also, yeah. what other signage and stuff are on those beaches to warn people? So there are, I'll speak to the towns that I know about, which would be along that outer cape. So Orleans, straight up to P-Town. I'm not sure in, inside more lower cape. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I have to hope they're all the same. They are a picture window size sign of a shark with some warnings, right? Please don't, please be aware sharks hunt in shallow water here. Please don't search. Please don't be in the water during dusk and dawn. Stay away from seals. Like kind of the basics. Like you can hear, like we all had it memorized because we've been hearing about it. This like litany of, of silly rules. In terms of stop the bleed kit, I mean, this is another missed opportunity. Those stop the bleed kits. I, I don't have a strong sense of confidence that these supplies have been refreshed over the year. And that's no knock on the public safety people. I'm sure, I mean, they've got to make decisions every year where they spend their resources. So those are places where our organization would love to jump in and make sure they're the most up-to-date technology, most up-to-date materials for stop the bleed. I mean, that's always changing and getting better. We're learning more, unfortunately, from war zones, you know, how to improve some of those materials. But I'm willing to bet you if 12 people walk by that box in a five-minute period, maybe one knows what's in the box and maybe one, half of one knows what to do with it and how to use it. So there is a big gap in opportunity where the number of people that have sharp skills on those stop the bleed kits anymore, it, time's probably gone past on that. And to be honest, they're also very far away. They are very far away. They're at the top of the gym. So even if it weren't for a shark attack, little kids on a skimboard, he twists his ankle and there's bones sticking out or something. I mean, there's an opportunity to get those kit closer to the beaches. If you've been to the outer beach, it's a big decision to be surfing, swimming, anything, boogie boarding, and realizing you have to run up the hill. Now, I could probably do it. And if I'm in a panic, I could do it. But not a lot of people on the beach can get up that hill in the nick of time. We're talking like, you got to move immediately. So those stuff to leave kits need to be down the beaches. That's another opportunity and another place where we're looking to add some value. Again, I know these towns are not printing money and after COVID there's tremendous needs and opportunities and everybody's banging on your door. So to ask for money for drones or ask for money for public safety things, it's sort of a, of a, of a blend that we have to come up with. But it's very easy to go to the beach and think that the shark thing is completely overblown. You may or may not get pulled out of the water. You may go to, you may go to Nasset Beach and get pulled out of the water four times in a day and you come out for an hour and then you go back in. Well, if you only have one week of vacation a year and you've got kids between the age of whatever, five and, and 14, 16, 18, they don't want to sit on the beach for an hour. And I don't want to be nervous. I want to go to Lake Winnipesaukee and open my book and let them tool around for eight hours straight and come home tired. And I don't want to have a lot of dialogue perhaps with my kids about how, what, what the shark problem really is out there. 
So I think there's, again, a lens on what it feels like to people that go and visit that's not entirely appreciated by people who feel like status quo is kind of okay. So last question for me, how do we get the word out about what you guys are trying to do? I know you do things like this podcast, Heather, I heard you recently on Martha's Vineyard Radio, but it, it, I mean, the whole thing is playing out like a movie, which is almost cliche to say, but it truly is. And so I just wonder, how do you raise awareness for what has become such a passion project for you in it's almost like you're, you're fighting against a brick wall in a way, like you're trying to push it down and there's no, there's yeah. no give whatsoever. Yeah. We call it like man to man combat, right? <laughs> so it's literally Mark having seven conversations with seven people at the beach over seven days. And then they tell two friends and they tell two friends. We do do a lot of public service campaigning. We do have a lot of marketing material around the surf shops, restaurants, et cetera. It was a little bit about us. This year, I'll tell you that we've picked up five or six more followers every week since, I don't know, May, and that never happened before. So people are tuned in and they're hearing more and more about us. But there is this sense, I ran into someone recently, they said, oh, you're the shark girl. I said, no, (laughs) I'm not. I'm the public safety person. I'm the public safety worrier. That is what we are. We're not trying to be alarmist and we're not alarmist, but this is the reality that doesn't get really spoken about. So it's important to have people on both sides of the fence. It does feel like a brick wall. There were times where we had engagement from our local officials. In my particular town, I do think those walls have come down because over time they've come to see us, not as critics, but really trying to help. And here's all the evidence of what we've tried to do to help. So let us be helpful. But some of that doesn't exist elsewhere. And again, the seashore has tremendous influence. And just like when Joshua Tree, there's signs about snakes or there's bear attacks. And that's sort of the philosophy that we've heard from the seashore on quite a bit of land there. It's a very influential office, so to speak. And it's a federal office. But I can tell you when we were in Joshua Tree and there were a sign about snakes and it was a, a, a trail that was highly visited by just families. I'm willing to bet if the number of snake bites increased by 20%, something would happen. I'm 100% sure. And we know something would happen. And we would have some kind of public safety awareness. So I think there's tremendous opportunities. Why we're living in a bell jar is never really clear to me. Many people will take my call. Many people I've called time and time again, year over year, and will not return the call. Yeah. Like like I said, this will be going to Governor Healy. <laughs> I, I will assure you, whether she listens or not, I can't assure you that. But it will make it to the State House. Now, in in closing, education, look. Sharks have always been there. I'm a huge believer that we need to respect nature and live within what nature gives us. But at the same time, we need to take personal responsibility, each and one of us. Mark, Andrew, I'd like you both to buzz in on this. Mark, you texted me earlier today about a rescue. I would just like a quick overview. And this is for the listener to understand that. This is not Disney World. This is reality. And we have to live within our own means. Mark, if you could jump in there, please. I'd love to hear the story and I'd love the listener to hear it. Well, it it doesn't always go with combating sharks, but I I think that people aren't aware of the strength and the power of, of Mother Nature. And in this case, what we're talking about is marine life. So 
somebody gets out there and just thinks that they can go ahead and throw on a wetsuit, grab a board and paddle into it. Well, they're up against currents. Then they go ahead and float into deeper areas where there is marine life going by and they become vulnerable or prey predators and so forth. And I think that too many people just enter the waters blind, like just not aware of what's going on down here. And I think that all the signs, the public education Heather talked about are really starting to heighten the awareness. I think that we do dominoes. We talk to a lot of people about it. And I know we've been doing a good job with social media and our website has been increasing. We've been doing some membership drives. We were doing educational events and so forth, but it still seems to be man-to-man combat. And uh, when Drew and I go on the water, I I would never I freak out when I'm when I'm in the lineup and doing rotation and waves, and all of a sudden I see somebody drifting by, in in four eight twelve feet of water, and there's sea life going by me. I'm just waiting for something to happen. And that that is not somebody taking responsibility for themselves. And just like this morning, I had to put myself at risk to take somebody that literally said to me, I have no right being out here. As he's having a panic attack, the water's cold. He might even been, been in too tight of a wetsuit and definitely too small of a board. And all of a sudden he's freaking out and he's, he doesn't have the energy, the gas in the tank to get back in. And the current's floating him out. And the first thing I think about is sharks. Like this guy's like a human tea bag to put it in perspective. And so what do I have to do? I have to stop my workout. I have to find out if he's okay. I have to assess the situation, Mike, just like you as a first responder. And can I talk him into it? And I walk him through it. And at what point do I have to get involved? Can I go now visually see somebody else on the beach or in the lineup that can be my backup in case I get turned upside down? And eventually it all came together with a little bit of a triangle, but I let him in there. I got beach help and I had another guy out there watching for me. And, and that's where we talk about heightened awareness. Know before you go. Know your limitations. Know your athletic abilities and know what is lurking underneath you in the water at all times. And that's in a, in a nutshell, it happens. But Mike, it's happening hourly, not only daily, hourly out there. And when I leave, I just, I, I block it off. Drew, how about you? I just, I turn it off because no. I just, I can't live, I can't live with an anxiety and there's nothing I can do when I'm not in that water. Yeah, no, those are great points. And and it's this kind of comes back to what we're talking about here. So we have New York, right? The state of New York being proactive. They're going all hands on deck, away they go. Everything you just mentioned, Mark, and guys, I'll we'll pull up to the beach and I'll look out like it's high tide. There's there's no ways. Mark and I aren't gonna go surfing. And I see eight year olds and eleven year olds twenty feet offshore on boogie boards. I see people swimming laps and the message is out there, but it's not strong enough. I mean, and it's, I, I hate to say it, but it's not if, it's, it's when, once again, that that's, there's going to be another Arthur, unfortunately. 
And uh, so sad to see. And then we talked about promotion. What can we do with CCOC? I mean, it's CCOC, Cape Cod Ocean Community is really the grassroots organization that's pushing the needle here as far as doing anything. Because what's coming from our local county and state, they're just whatever it's where it falls exactly. I'm not sure. But if you go on the, the Wellfleet website, you'll see. There's a blurb for Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. And to me, it's like to donate. And I'm just, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I'm like, CCOC should be there as much as Atlantic White Shark Conservancy because CCOC is going to do something to keep the tourists that are coming to Wellfleet and the Outer Cape and the Cape and Islands safe moving forward. So we've got a long ways to go. We're just literally, the needle's just starting to to burst a little bit, but we have a long ways to go. And luckily there's the watermen like Mark and myself and many others that we surf with that the surveillance is out there with everyone else that's involved. Well, Drew, I think you just nailed it. There's this statement, th- act locally, think globally. We need to act locally, support the local organizations that are making a difference in your community, and you guys are doing a great job. And I want to thank you, all three of you, for coming on, because I think this we're, this is a skiing podcast is how we started, but skiers go surfing. Mark, you're a full-time skier in the winter, okay? Skiers go surfing. Skiers go bike riding. We We travel New England. And we applaud you for what you're doing. As I said, I will personally get this to Governor Healy. And I want to thank all three of you for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, I, Mike introduced me to CCOC, and, and I'm kind of I'm fascinated by the work you do, as well as the pushback. And so I will definitely be, be following along and championing your cause. For more information and to donate, go to Cape Cod Ocean Community. Dot org. You can find all information there about this, this great organization. I want to thank Heather, Drew, Mark. Thank you for joining us on the Basecamp podcast. That was a pleasure and I, I can't wait to have a safe and protective summer environment that we can all enjoy. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you guys so much for helping support it, get the word out. And we just love what you guys do. Well, thanks an awful lot. You guys have a fantastic week. You too, guys. Thanks. Thanks, thanks guys. Eric, we have spent so much time about talking about ski areas, about skiing, about our favorite runs and stuff. But I also think when when you have a little bully pop pulpit like we do, is a very little one maybe, we we need to also educate people about their responsibility and that the areas we play in is truly a changeable area and it's definitely not disney world no and 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 it's 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 frustrating to hear heather talk because you can you can hear sort of the tiredness in her voice about getting the message out and not the tiredness about getting the her group's own personal message out but getting this out to politicians and getting this out to, to taxpayers and making people more aware of the fact that these sorts of measures are needed if we want to continue pr- to promote Cape Cod as a as a tourist destination. I think the numbers she said them. And I mean we we've we've read them recently in 2023 more people are going to Rhode Island this summer than Cape Cod. 
And that's not all because of shark activity, but it doesn't help. It's, it's something that you've got to embrace your backyard and, and, and embrace it for what it is and for what it can be and what, for what it means to people. And for us to kind of just turn our head and ignore the problem, like I said, it, it's like using Jaws as a metaphor is not anything that's necessarily brilliant, right? It's, it's staring at you right in the face that this, this and the other one that, that I, I, I enjoy so much is Don't Look Up, the, the Netflix movie. I can't remember the name of the director. Is it Adam McKay, who does Succession as well? And, and that movie is really, from a, from a journalism standpoint and a media perspective, of the world ignoring this very important message you have is just, it, it, it plays out like everyday life because that is everyday life. We talk about global warming. We talk about shark safety. We talk about whatever. We've got to have another argument against it. When instances like this, just it just it, it's common sense to just come together and find some way to pool some money together so we can make this a safe water environment for Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and whoever visits us. Yes, you are 100% correct. We started this pod cast talking about the devastation in Vermont and the North Country, Western mm. Mass. Those are our neighbors. They really are. They're, our, they're taxpayers. They are friends. Guess what? Down on Cape Cod, if we do not get a complete message out, a unified message out, and deal with these situations, more neighbors are affected in an adverse way. I challenge, I do a lot of challenging, I guess, on this podcast, <laughs> but I challenge everybody to send a letter into Governor Healy. I will make sure this podcast gets sent to her directly. But please, we need to support Cape Cod. We need to get the message out and we, we all want to go there. We all want to use and enjoy the beauty that is there. But I am so glad they came on to share their message because I learned some things that I didn't know. Like I said, Mike, you introduced me to this organization. I am, I'm fascinated by their work and, and what they, they do and what they need to do. Again, for more information, CapeCodOceanCommunity.org, or you can email them at SharkWatch at CapeCodOceanCommunity.org. Dot org. Mike, pleasure. Thank you very much. I hope you're enjoying the surf safely this summer. Oh, it. whenever it's there, I just hope this weather pattern changes a little bit and brings some wind with it mm -hmm. because the windsurfing has been atrocious. The mountain biking has been wet. The road biking's been okay, and you take what you get. That's why you do a lot of different things. But, hey, Eric, until next time, I'm looking forward to the next conversation. I am, too. And that is Mike Specian. I am Eric Wilbur. We will see you on the next Basecamp podcast. New England Ski Journal's Basecamp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.